Morning, you. Bacon sandwich and coffee? I'm starved. How do you get the bacon perfect every time? Practice. I lived with my grand. She ran a boarding house in Dublin. Didn't let me near the men. Grand said men would stick their willies in anything, and I stayed in the kitchen and did the cooking. I learned fast about bacon and men. When did you leave Ireland? Grand died when I was 15. I took her savings and went to London. I found work in a theater. My poor little orphan. Have fun last night? I had the bed wind up across the room. Chairs overturned, table upside down, you savage. I had some help. Any guess what happened to my other shoe? You were wearing shoes? Positive. I had two gold slippers on last night. This morning, I only have one. Wait a minute. I know. Pour me some coffee and I'll grab it. Got it. Where'd you find it? Up in the ceiling rafter. Flew there last night when you kicked it off. It's funny, I don't remember that. You were pretty busy doing a strip. I never. A lady doesn't strip, she just rows. And I was as graceful as a swan, which is a miracle considering how much champagne you poured. Emerson said, beauty without grace is the hook without the bait. You got me hooked with plenty of bait, gorgeous. I couldn't think of anything but licking your décolletage like an ice cream. We had your lamps on them all night, Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how long are you going to keep it hush-hush at the studio? Are you embarrassed to be going out with a guy who only gets 200 a week? No, of course not. Don't be silly. Just doesn't seem like anybody's business. We don't need to announce anything. Maybe we do. What do you mean? Did you put sugar in my coffee? Since when do you take sugar? Can't a man change his mind? Get the sugar bowl. Hmm? One number two? Well, what's this? Something sweet for you. An anchor ring. Made a diamond. Will you marry me, Cleo? You're my anchor. How can you afford this on your salary? Oh, this is too much. Don't worry your pretty head. It's only money. Now, what do you say? Oh, we've only been seeing each other two months. Are you sure about this? I'm 35 years old. I know what I want. Let's go to Mexico and tie the knot. Why don't we start 1932 with a bang? Say yes. Yes, yes, I'll marry you, Rick. When? Today. Let's go today. Right now, before you change your mind. What about the studio? Tell them you're sick. Have you ever missed a day? I bet you have it. Well, they owe you the time off. Okay, okay. I, I need to go home and change. I can't get married in this. I look like a faded bouquet. You look good enough to put on a place. I think I'll have you for my dinner. <laughs> Let's go. You're not getting out of my sight until you're Mrs. Tully. Cleo, you stuck a knife in me. I got to read in the Wellers column that you got sealed to a bum. 
How could you marry a no-name like Rick Tully? I had no idea you were carrying on with him. That makes you the only one. Yeah, you dope. We know. You did have. Please, come in here every morning with love bites on your neck. After lunch, your clothes any which way. And I saw you two going at it one night. Where? In the prop closet. You were sitting on one of them trunks, totally kneeling in front. Mm, you saw that? I got eyes, don't I? And ears. Saw him sneaking out of here a couple of times with your carmine lipstick on his mouth. So what? I'm crazy about it. I married the fellow, didn't I? Maybe I wouldn't have to carry on here if I wasn't in the studio 80 hours a week. You ain't got the best track record with men. Oh, and you do? Your Johnny ran off with a neighbor. And babe, your Al gave you a black eye for Christmas. What is with the third degree? We're just looking out for you, Cleo. That Tully is an awful fast worker. You're tied up with a nobody and neglecting your career. Look at the pile of scripts over there. Sacks of fan mail unopened. Publicity shots you haven't approved. Interviews you missed. Get wise and take care of business. I read the scripts. Load of junk. This one was a dog when Schubert produced it in 1926, and it's still a dog. This one expects me to play the mother of a teenager. This one only has two decent scenes. This one is a remake of Why Girls Leave Home, and they'll say I'm too old for it. And this, this is the worst of the bunch. It's about that Lonely Hearts case. I'd be playing a victim of Harry Powers. Zanuck must be nuts if he thinks I'd play one of those murdered widows. More of a tripe any hundred dollar a week girl could do. All right, so you read them, and they're out. You're still busy thinking about Whoopi when you should be picking a script. My amatory interests haven't made me lose the run of myself. Your what now? My amatory, my romance. Anything wrong with learning new vocabulary? Oh, brother. I got to bring a dictionary to work now? It just so happens that I already have a story in the works. What do you mean, in the works? In development. Phil's writing the script as we speak. No kidding. What's the story? I found it in one of Tully's books. It ain't by that Emerson, is it? Do you want a bomb at the box office? For the love of Pete, Cleo, nobody wants some old-fashioned lecture at a time like this, with the economy and the crapper and all. Mark my words, nothing good is going to come from getting mixed up with a fellow like that. Oh, will you listen to me? You'd think he was some piker off a boxcar. He's educated, he's talented, and he's my husband. Give me some credit, have I ever done a bad story? Don't my pictures rake in the dough? Yeah, yeah, sure. And this one's a corker. Wait till I tell you. What's the title? Tartarus of Maids. Are you joking me? Who's going to see a picture called Tartar Sauce of Maids? You lost your mind? You're reading the paper at a time like this, babe? I'm looking at the help wanted page. So I won't have this job much longer. Just listen. I was flipping through a book by a writer named Herman Melville. One of the stories caught my eye was called The Paradise of Bachelors and the Tartarus of Maine. What's the racket in here? Pipe down. Theo's telling us about her next picture. Oh, goody. Is there a part for me? Yeah, if you want to be in Tartar Sauce of Maids. What was that now? Would you shut up and listen? 
as I was saying, the title caught my eye. Bachelors get a paradise and dames get a Tartarus. Now, I didn't know what it meant, but I figured it was the opposite of paradise, so I looked it up. Tartarus is the deepest part of Hades, you know, the place the Greeks called hell before they invented regular hell. Anyway, so I read it. Melville wrote a doozy. It's exactly what the title says. Single men are in heaven and unmarried women are in the coldest. When was it written? 80 years ago, give or take. Not sausage curls, bonnets and hoop skirts. Say it and so. Why would you want to ruin your shape with petticoats? You know I don't do period pictures. Not Cleo is modern, modern, modern. Will you tell us the story before I have a stroke? In the first part, Melville tells about lawyers in London who have good dinner and conversation. They have oxtail soup, a fish course, roast beef, meat pies, and all kinds of claret, sherry, and pork. The works. His point is they live in bliss because they ain't got no wife or kids to worry about. The second part is about spinsters who toil in a paper mill in New England. They're as white as the paper they make. Half starved, half dead, really. Living hell on earth. Sounds like a regular laugh riot. Give me a little credit. Well, yeah, I'm giving it an update. Not much happens in Melville's story. There's no plot. It just shows the conditions. But the way I see it, we can set it in New York today. The owner of the paper factory belongs to a swanky men's club where he eats like a hog and swills brandy with his cigar. Meanwhile, the girls in the factory work like donkeys for pennies. One girl falls in a big bat of rags and dies. The other girls are abused by the factory boss who's a lecher. Is Tully a red too? He feeding you union labor stuff? Hey, no one employed by the Brothers Warner is a stranger to exploited labor. No, don't you see? Things are bad. Around the country, folks are out of work or overworked. The factory boss is the perfect villain. And I've added a nice revenge scene. The boss, he, he ruins girls. One girl gets in trouble. She's a stillbirth and she dies. And then I put a stop to it. You shoot the boss? I'm too poor for a gun. What's the murder weapon? Cyanide. They use it in paper mills too. I looked it up in Ritz Encyclopedias. Easy to work into the plot. My character Prudence will put it in his stomach powder. Babe, can you whip up some makeup that'll make him look blue for the camera? For a nice gruesome close-up. He's going to choke for a while before he kicks the bucket. I'll figure something out. Count on me. Who's playing the factory boss? Tully? Mm-mm. Warren William will play the boss. Tully is going to play the mouthpiece who gets me off the murder charge. You're crazy if you think I want to play one of those paper mill urchins. Dressed in rags? Forget it. No, Maxie, no, no. You're getting all the glen. You'll play a society dame with a lavish wardrobe, dressed to the knot. One of the hats to show how bad it is for the have-not. Uh, now you're talking. About time I got a juicy roll around here. And Adele is going to make all the costumes. Oh boy, no more fighting for cast-offs. Xanax said okay? You know he likes stories ripped from the headlines. I'm sure there's at least one paper mill in this country that could do with reform. If it's a hit, columnists will say it was Tully's idea or his influence. He'll get credit. Uh Uh-uh. My name is all over the picture. Name above the title. Then it'll say story developed by Cleo Long from the original by Herman Melville. Screenplay by Phyllis Blake. I'm getting a producer's credit, too. See, now you think I'm loved up and forgetting business, but I am always thinking about the next picture.
Hello, everyone. Ready to go home and rearrange the furniture, Mrs. Tully? Now I'll get my coat, darling. Never seen her excited to do housework before. Ain't love grand. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my client is innocent. Yeah, hang on. Your delivery is good, but don't uh, hook your thumbs in your vest like that. Why not? Two reasons. You're playing a hungry defense attorney, keen to see me uh, exonerated. When you do that with your thumbs, uh, it looks smug, like you're resting on your laurels. The second reason is Eddie Robinson did it during that big scene in Little Caesar. You didn't see it? He posted reporters with his thumbs tucked in his vest during the scene at the gangster's banquet. It was a telltale sign of his vanity in the fall to come. My thumbs will say, all that? Now they say plenty. Don't lean back on your heels, neither. Just lean forward. Sell him the story about how the factory boss had it coming. Stand behind me when you finish the speech, and that way it reinforces your belief in my innocence. And it'll put me in the shot and make it big. You're always saying make it small for the camera. Yeah, I mean, did you ever know a trial attorney who wasn't a hand? And when I say bigger, I don't mean as big as Lionel Barrymore in Free Soul, mind you. <laughs> no, you need a bit of business. You need uh, something to do with your hands. How about when I mention the newspaper coverage of the horrible conditions in the paper mill, I pick a newspaper off the table. I could hold it out for the jury and then roll it up for my fist, pointed at the prosecutor. Well, that's a great idea, Tully. Be like you're waving the truth in the jury's face. You two made an early start. The trial seems aren't on the schedule till next week. And that's why we're rehearsing it now, my sweet, so we don't hold up production. I, I feel like my character would be a better understood with maybe a little backstory, Carter. Uh, couldn't we add a scene to show how he worked hard to pay tuition? We don't need it. The audience knows his background when he visits the private club. Defense attorney Ryan goes to question the waiter about what the factory boss ate the day he died. The waiter calls him Blucky. They grew up together. Narrative economy, you know? <laughs> Typical actor. They always want a bigger part. <laughs> oh, so I'm just another actor to you, is that it? Fine way to talk to your husband. I'm tired of being pushed around. Don't be cross, Tully. Once a picture goes into production, you need a pretty strong case for making script changes. Otherwise, the front office will blow their top. I'll be in my dressing room until the clouds disappear. Give me a shout when you're ready, Carter. I suppose I'll be waiting in the pig pen where they keep the cheap talent. Why do they let stars marry? Want to go see No Man of Her Own tonight? Oh, that'll go down a treat. Can't wait to see Lombard's wardrobe. Gable's run the card racket. Should be good. Dames sure go crazy for him. I don't get it. Ears stick out like handles on a sugar bowl. Who cares about ears? He's built like a bull. He can wreck my china shop any day. Yeah, around. She's having lunch with the bigwigs in the executive dining room. 
Get in line. I'm waiting for it, too. No rush. Babe, are you ready with the makeup for the poisoning scene tomorrow? You have some blue powder or something? You bet. Blue's no good to photograph blue, though. It'll be too dark. It would look like his face turned black. Have you seen anybody's face when they die from cyanide? No, but I've read descriptions in the papers and magazines. How do you know what shade of blue to pick? Must be 40 shades of blue. Believe me, I thought of that. But see, the audience probably doesn't know what shade of blue it is either. They only know cyanide turns blue. Something happens when the oxygen cuts off. Makeup will suggest blue and then the imagination does the rest. What did you come up with? Like I said, blue is too dark. So I mixed a grey liquid base with a lavender powder on top. Some cotton wool stuffed into his cheeks too, so he looks bloated. Extra lines in his face, dark rouge in his lips. I'll give him the works. Is Cleo out? Close your robe, Maxie. You're flashing like this it was a backwater grindhouse. Oh yeah? Guess who opened it? Not Tully. Did he lay a finger on you? He gave me the once-over. I'd like to press this iron on his noggin. Tell us from the start. Well, I didn't want to wrinkle my silk gown while I ate my cottage cheese and tomato for lunch, so I put on a robe. I ducked out of my dressing room to grab a paper one of the fellows left behind on the set. And on the way back to my dressing room, Tully stopped me in the hall, and he started with a chit-chat. What kind of chit-chat? About blocking our scene. Uh Uh-huh. And then what? He untied my belt, opened my robe, and got himself an eyeful. What did he say? Nothing. He opened my robe, looked me up and down, and then he just turned and walked away. I have a scene with him after lunch. What should I do? Give him the big eyes. Play innocent. Act like you don't know what he was up to. The instant routine never works, Carter. It only encourages them. Makes them think they can get away with more, not less. I'm telling him, Cleo. Go on, Hank. Tully's a rat. You can't tell her. I don't want to rock the boat. I just want to know how to handle him. I'm telling Cleo the minute she walks in the door, she's got a right to know her husband's carrying on behind her back. She won't thank you for it, Hank. You've heard of Shoot the Messenger, I presume. I wish somebody told me when Johnny was stepping out. That was different. You weren't married to Johnny and he wasn't fooling around with your friend. Doesn't that make it worse? See, Adele knows it's the right thing to do from a woman's point of view. Put the torch down, Hank. You're not going to rescue her. She won't fall into your arms. Your divorce was final years ago. I tell you, a woman's got a right to know. What good will it do? Cleo will only get upset. Most likely, it will put us behind schedule, which isn't good for anyone. And in the end, she'll forgive him. Friends should look out for her. She'll take it out on me. I'll get the blame. That's not fair, Maxie. She handpicked you, gave you a build-up, taught you everything you know. Yeah, and I know the score. When a husband takes a fancy to his wife's friends, it's the friendship that busts up. They never give the husband the gate. Cleo's worked so hard in this picture. She's proud of it, happy. Why spoil with bad news? So what's the angle? I can't play dumb. If I threaten to tell, he'll make me an enemy. Do what women have always done. Pretend it never happened. Everybody scrams. She'll be back in a minute and there's a reporter coming by.
have a cocktail? I don't want one. In a mood? I'm the one who should be sore. <sighs> what for? Why wasn't I invited to the executive dining room today? I ate a ham and cheese in the parking lot, alone. You probably had lobster with Jack Warner. You know, I only take consomme at lunch, and it wasn't a social event with spouses, it was work. Investors from New York were in town. It's part of my job. They want to rub elbows. A little slap and tickle for dessert, too, I bet. I'm not one of those suits put a hand on me. I signed autographs for their wives and daughters. You ought to know I would never allow any hanky-panky. Go ahead and say it. I wasn't invited because I'm not a star. I take fourth billing, if you're feeling generous. Fourth build after less than a year in Hollywood is no small potatoes. It takes some actors years to make it that far. I'm tired of feeling like a chump. That reporter who came to see you today called me Mr. Long on her way out. I won't have it, I tell you. Tired of feeling like an errand boy around here. All you do is correct me in the studio. You, you reject my story ideas. We come home and you're too tired to go out. You go to bed at nine, which I haven't done since I was a boy in short pants. Then you give me a hard time if I want a cocktail. So go ahead and get stewed. Who's stopping you? Only said I didn't want one. You look down your nose at me. I can't be like you, and I live for the studio, Miss Goody Two-Shoes. Well, must you pick a fight now? I'm exhausted. I still need to go over my lines for tomorrow. When we got hitched, I didn't know you were already married to the Warner Brothers. I'm not going to fight with you, Rick. Why don't you go for a swim and cool off? I'm going to cream my face and go to bed. I'm going to need another drink if I have to look at that gunk on your face. I'm poisoning one man tomorrow. You care to make it too? I don't have to take this shit. No, Joey Brown isn't doing free appearances. If you want him to attend your Elks convention, you'll have to pay a fee. Right? Okay. Bring me back when you have dates. Now, how's the interview copy from yesterday? Oh, just dandy. Next month's issue. Still looking for a story? I'm always looking for a story. Rick was uh, pushing Hawthorne on me, but it isn't what I want. Not the Scarlet Letter. Uh, no, no. Um, a short one. The birthmark? You know? Oh, I love that story. Georgiana's passive. She doesn't do much. And she dies at the end. Mm, I see what you mean. It's told from the man's point of view. How about something written by a woman instead? You hit me. What have you got? Edith Wharton's book, The House of Mirth, would be perfect for you. It's about a woman named Lily Bart who was born in high society, but she's a poor relation. She can see the luxury, only she's on the outside. She depends on relations for the life she wants, and the guy she's sweet on has no money. So she has no choice but to marry for money and not love. And that puts her into the viper's nest of rich men who want to keep her on the sly and their wives jealous. So it's about money, sex, and reputation. And it's right up my alley. Can you handle the script? Can Lee Tracy handle a telephone? <laughs> I'd cut off my toes to adapt a Wharton story. <laughs> it won't come to that. I need more than three weeks, though. Oh, you've got plenty of time, Phil. My next two pictures are lined up. I had to promise Warner. I'd play a sob sister in one called Empty Cradle. He was worried I'm getting too hard-boiled on screen. Might alienate women of morals, he said. 
it's your standard mother love story. And then after that, there's one called Fashion Pirates. I play a dress designer who gets caught up in a counterfeit racket. No rest for the wicked. What would I do if I didn't have to worry about scripts every day? Anyway, take your time with the warden. You got a copy? As a matter of fact, I do. Over there on the bottom shelf. I guess I should mention Lily dies in the end. Oh, Christ, don't women ever get to live? I'll let you know how I find it. If it's good, which I'm sure it is, we can put it on the schedule. Hey, how'd that big poisoning scene go today? I was in a meeting and I had to miss it. I can never tell till I see it in the rushes. I'm saving that until tomorrow. Why aren't you rushing home to Tully like you do every night? Cigarette? Mm, thanks. Tell you the truth, it's a sticky situation. He blew up at me the other night when I said I didn't want to do the Hawthorne. We had a row again last night, and he said he's tired of me bossing him. Studio hours, the reporter yesterday called him Mr. Long. And not sure what the weather will be like when I get home. Frosty or stormy. I think he resents me, Phil. No, you can handle him. You have the Warner Brothers in the palm of your hands, don't you? It's easy for you to say. You don't get tangled up with men. Listen, you're in the spotlight. He's in the shadows. Makes him feel less of a man. I don't know many men who have the self-confidence to marry a star. And they say the first year of marriage is the toughest, too. Mm, go home and face the music, kid. Mm, thanks. Yeah, night, Phil. Where have you been? I was waiting to tell you how wonderful you were today. You were? Of course. What a performance. You were incredible. The way you let the camera see what you were thinking. Hmm. Good to know. I haven't uh, watched the dailies yet. And your big close-up. After Warren drinks the poison and starts to cough. Outstanding. How'd you ever come up with that? I've never seen it done before. The way you lifted your head slowly, waited, then opened your eyes last. Did it come across? Boy, did it ever. Oh, thanks. How did you come up with it? Well, uh, I wanted to delay lifting my head. I lifted it very, very slowly to show Prudence didn't want to see him die. She wasn't eager for it, but she did the deed. And that meant witnessing his last breath. I delayed opening my eyes so people in the seats wouldn't know exactly how I felt. I wanted them to wonder if I was scared or remorseful or full of rage. While Warren spluttered and choked, I wanted to be gradual, like a sunrise. Then, once my head was finally up, I lifted my eyes and opened them wide. And by that time, he was dead. And you can see the hate in my face. Incredible. Never seen anything like it. Yale never taught us to do anything like that. You must be starved. Should I put some chops on? It's the cook's day off. You know what? Why don't we go out for dinner? Let's make a night of it and go for drinks first and dancing after. I'm sorry we quarreled last night, Rick. I'm sorry too, honey. Listen, don't mention it. I wouldn't give you two cents for a dame without a temper. 
<laughs> I'll remember you said that. Uh, listen, give me 15 minutes and I'll look like a new woman. I don't want a new woman. I want Mrs. Tully. Now hurry up before I rip your dress off. Then we'll never get out of here. America, this is Dolly DePeister speaking to you live from the sixth annual Academy Award ceremony at the Ambassador Hotel. This evening's Oscars had many surprises for the film colony and for fans around the globe. I'll have additional news from the gala event in my nationally syndicated column for the LA Times. We have many juicy items to discuss, including the hotly contested best picture category. But first, ladies and gentlemen, I am delighted to have with me the winner for Best Actress for Tartarus of Maids, Miss Cleo Long. Good evening, Dolly, and to all the ladies and gentlemen listening at home. Congratulations. Lift your Oscar for the cameras, dear. Now, tell us, how does it feel to win the Oscar for Best Actress? Oh, truly, it's a great honor. Right now, I feel like a balloon that might float away. So, what's next for Cleo? I want to keep making stories that matter to women. Every day, I think about women who see my pictures. Women who come home with sore feet, who save for a nice coat, who feel invisible, who just want a fair shake. And they deserve a good story. Well, you heard the scoop here, my friends. Cleo Long promises quality women's pictures. Thanks for joining me, Cleo. Thanks, Dolly. Now I'm going to celebrate with champagne. A Star of Sporn is a Sassmouth Dames production, written and directed by Megan McGurk, starring Clara Higgins as Cleo Long, Danny Reed as Rick Tully, Jean Sutton as Babe Dempsey, Olympia Kiriakou as Phyllis Blake, M. Sean as Maxine Raymond, Peter Bryant as Hank Weber, Matt Harris as Carter Hillary, Megan McGurk as Adele Geary, art design by Mott Collins, sound editing and special effects by Tomas Amahuna. Thanks very much for listening. I do, there's nothing I can do about it.